brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, What's the podcast? Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Jack. Sports Jack. It's Sports Jack. Welcome to episode 337 of the Sports Yak Podcast. Oh, you mean the Jim Valvano episode? I recognize that name. Jim Valvano, longtime college basketball coach. Started his career at Iona, but then went to North Carolina State, won a national title there. Then, while he was a commentator for ABC, developed cancer and gave one of the most famous speeches of all time, I would dare say, at the ESPYs. Uh, He received an Arthur Ashe Courage Award. And the Jimmy V Foundation, which raises tons of money for cancer research, is in his honor. But he won 337 games as a college basketball coach, so we dedicate this episode of the Sports Yak to Jimmy V, Jim Valvano. What do you think it was that made it that memorable? What, what do you think? Just the perfect storm of timing, what he was going through, what we needed as sports fans to hear from him. What do you think it was? I think, first of all, the effort that it took for him to get onto stage that night, uh, the fact that he was really reeling from cancer and yet when the red light came on so did he and the things he says in the speech like every day you should laugh you should cry and you should think and talking about how cancer uh can ravage his body but it can't touch his heart it can't touch his mind it can't touch his soul Hmm. and He just hit on so many great points in that speech. I mean, honestly, you could you could glean something different from that speech every time you heard it and wind up with something that you could find useful in your life. Family Broadcasting Corporation in association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way! 
Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! Well, let's get into it. NBA Finals. I watched the uh, tail end of this game on Saturday night. I'm pulling for the Bucks. My son wants the Suns to win. Why? Uh, I think he likes a few more of the players on the team. I, of course, love the Monty Williams story. It was a great uh, piece of audio. This uh, popped up either yesterday or this morning. Just about what he does in his free time. Talked about his family, mm-hmm. doing evening devotionals, reading something from the Bible, and talking about that and how that applies to their life. Uh, I like Giannis. I like Milwaukee. I like the idea that they haven't won a championship in 50 years. Yeah, but Phoenix has never won one at all. Ever. Okay. Well, may the best team win. Well, right now the best team, the team that's sitting in the catbird seat would be the Milwaukee Bucks because on Saturday night they go into Phoenix and um, <laughs> this is a bad comparison, but you frequently use the term of my tenure at WNDU as being part of the three-headed hydra. <laughs> well, the three-headed hydra for Milwaukee on Saturday night was Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. All three of them scoring more than 25 points in a game that had not been done since the great Lakers teams with Abdul-Jabbar, Magic, and Worthy. So... You don't see that kind of three-headed attack very often in an NBA Finals. Usually there's one star, maybe two. So you've got these three players, and the Bucks were down 16 at the end of one. I mean, Phoenix was clicking on all cylinders in the first quarter of that game. They went 14 of 19 from the field. And by the time you th- played seven minutes of the second quarter, it's gone. That, to me, is the biggest difference between the NBA and high school or college basketball is just how quickly a lead can vanish. Now, part of that is the 24-second clock and the fact that the possessions are so quick. But the other part of that that has evolved in the NBA is the fact that so many players are good at the three-point shot. And Pat Connaughton... The former Notre Dame star was a huge part of that second quarter for the Bucks. He had gone three of three from the three-point line and helped bring them back in it. So the Bucks get back in it. Phoenix grabs a lead in the third and fourth quarter, and the Bucks keep chiseling away. It winds up being a tie game uh, late in the fourth quarter. The Bucks have just had a, a kind of a bad shot off a of possession. Actually, they're up they're up one, excuse me. And Phoenix has the ball. Devin Booker has the ball. And Holiday reaches in, gets the steal. He's coming down the court. They've got a two-on-one against Chris Paul, but there are Phoenix defenders in the trail mode. And Holiday picks that point to throw a lob up for Giannis. I saw that one. Now, oh. as Connaughton pointed out in the post-game press conference, there are only maybe two people in the world that can go get that ball where Holiday put it mm-hmm. and slam it down. And one of them's Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he does. And Milwaukee winds up winning game five. And now they have a 3-2 lead 
and they go back home to play game six where the fans closed game four by chanting, Bucks in six, Bucks in six. And now they've got a chance to make that reality and get their first NBA title in 50 years. I love that look Giannis gave the camera guy after that dunk, too. Just that little something to go into the break with. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a little flex anger pose. But to throw that pass at that point, I mean, you're only up one. Yeah. You've just taken possession. And not only does Giannis go up and slam it down, but Chris Paul, out of frustration, he's trying to... Didn't he, he kind of just push him right in the gut? Yeah, he's trying to yeah. foul him in such a way that Antetokounmpo can't get the dunk, and instead it winds up being an opportunity for a three-point play. I believe Giannis missed the free throw. So yeah, it, he did. But nevertheless... Um, Pat Connaughton said there's two people that could do that. Who was the other one? Did he say? He, he didn't say. wonder who that would be. Um, well, maybe LeBron. Okay. Maybe LeBron. But you take a look. Connaughton had 14 points in that game. 14 points and six rebounds. And I'll be honest, yes, he's been burned a couple of times on defense. Uh, Chris Paul got him to tie the game, made a nice move on him. But... Pat's played pretty good defense in this series too. He's done a he's done a decent job in his assignments on the defensive end, and I think that's made a difference in games four and five for Milwaukee because he does have some length to him. He's got some hops, good rebounder, so he's he's having himself a good NBA Finals and really making a difference for the Bucks as well. Maybe not to the point of Antetokounmpo, Holiday, and Middleton but still making a contribution. Hey, when's uh, the draft after this uh, is wrapped up? Thursday. Oh, wow. <laughs> is it really? I, is it Thursday? It's not this Thursday. It's it's. Uh, it would it's make the sense 29th. It was the following one. Yeah, yeah, it's the 29th. Wow. Okay. But still, there's very little time. And the fact of the matter is, if the Suns are able to win tomorrow night, then Game 7 would be Thursday night in Phoenix. They're trying to get this all wrapped up before the Olympics start on Friday because, of course, there's a basketball tournament going on with that. And I suppose we can segue into talking about that a little bit from the standpoint of Team USA has not looked like a juggernaut during these exhibition games. Now, Greg Popovich has been a little testy with the media in terms of pointing out oh, we're not going to blow out everybody, and you're wrong if you think that. But the fact of the matter is, in the past, Team USA has blown out teams like Nigeria. Yes, they've struggled with Australia because there's some pretty good talent there. I was going to say, is there more talent across the planet these days? Well, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you see that if you watch the NBA, you see guys like Luka Doncic coming over. Mm-hmm. You see guys from Australia come over. You see guys from uh, Spain, the Gasols, uh, Powell and Mark. So there's, it's becoming more and more of an international game. But the fact of the matter is, Team USA used to blow out these teams. Now, what Greg Popovich can't say is, we don't have the creme de la creme playing this year. You know, LeBron's not playing. Steph Curry's not playing. There's a lot of all-stars who aren't playing for Team USA this year because of 
what has happened over the last two years with COVID kind of compressing NBA schedules and players missing so much family time and things like that. A lot of guys, just like everyday people, are burnt out. So kudos to those like Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard who are playing for Team USA. But this isn't, don't confuse this with the dream team from 92. This isn't that. There's no dreaminess here. And then they've had to deal with some positive COVID tests. Bradley Beal from the Washington Wizards tested positive for COVID. He's not going to the games. He gets replaced by JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee, his biggest claim to fame in the NBA is the fact that he's kind of a punchline for Shaq jokes. So, <laughs> you know, we're not we're not looking at your typical Team USA. Now, Greg Popovich isn't going to come out and say that. He's not going to throw his guys under the bus. But anybody who looks at this objectively says, this: we're not sending our best and our brightest necessarily to these games. Yeah, there's a couple big-time names, but it's not like what we've sent in the past. Okay. You brought up LeBron's name a couple times in the last uh, 11 minutes. We saw Space Jam on Friday night. I'm hearing this from a lot of people in that, you know, and, and I can appreciate where LeBron is coming from. He's saying there's a generation, including his kids, who the first Space Jam isn't even a, isn't even a distant memory. Right. I mean, they may have seen it, but it's not something that's part of their lives as it was for you or me yeah. or our kids because we have older kids. So I can see where LeBron would say, hey, let's remake this. The smart thing they did because of that reason right there was open up the entire Warner Brothers catalog of characters. That's who surrounds the, uh, the ball court. So you've got a lot of people from all sorts of franchises. Right. But like even Bugs Bunny and his gang are nothing like they were to you and I growing up. Right. You know, it's, they're kind of like a, oh, isn't that at an amusement park now? And, yeah. you know, maybe a commercial from time to time. But uh, it was really over the top during the, the game portion of the movie. It was just, it was a little too much for me. Okay. My son liked it, but it was... Well, that, yeah, see, that was 14 be my years question. old and he liked it. It reminded him of the video games he plays. Right. Has he, has he seen the original? Only, Space only Man? recently. So, and, and it was painful for him to sit through because it's 90s CGI. Right. And animation. Right. You know, and there's a video game within this movie. And he was like, I wonder if they're going to make that into a game. I mean, it was very much a marketing. I could see his wheels turning of, yeah, they might do that. Sure. Who knows? But LeBron's performance, by the way, I saw him in Trainwreck, and if you add up that, it's about eight minutes total. Mm -hmm. There's different scenes. I thought he was genuinely funny in that movie. This is not the same. This one's very um, robotic. Well, if you remember, Jordan wasn't exactly a thespian in no. the first Space but Jam. But I, I am basing it on tr what I saw in Trainwreck. It's like, oh, he's got he's got some... He's got some acting chops. Yeah, yeah, there's there's something there. This was a little. He was very much LeBron the athlete, which right. I'm sure that's understandable. That's part of the script. Yeah. I think the other thing is when you are working in front of a green screen, 
Yeah. And you're you're trying to play off things that you can't see. Yeah, a broom with tennis balls. Yeah. Look at the eyes here. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not easy to do. Yeah. That's pretty tough. So I give him credit for that. And of course he'll we will not have, have to hold the telephone. There's a really no. good uh, Anthony Davis eyebrows joke in there. And Diana Taurasi mm-hmm. as a snake was very fitting. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of looked the character, you said, know? Said like a true Notre Dame women's yeah. basketball fan. All right, let's get into the British Open, Chuck Freebie. Colin Morikawa is a 24-year-old from Los Angeles, California, and he has played in a total of eight majors in his brief two years on the PGA Tour. Young 20s? 24. 24. Yesterday, he won his second major. To put that into perspective, Corey, there are two... Two players who have played only eight majors and won two. One of them was a guy named Bobby Jones, who's a legendary golfer, and the other is Colin Morikawa. Uh, If you take a look at guys who won two majors before the age of 25, now many of these played in more than eight by the time they got there, but you're talking about Tiger, Jack Nicklaus, Gene Sarazen, Joe, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, you know, some of your high-end golfers. So I watched yesterday, and I watched Morikawa go around Royal St. George without making a bogey in the last 18 holes. And I'm sitting there thinking, am I watching the emergence of golf's new star? Oh, wow. Is he... The heir apparent, at least on the American scene, to Tiger. Uh, Because he handles himself so well in the interviews. He handles himself uh, so well on the course. If Paul Azinger made one point, and boy, did he beat it into the ground over the broadcast. But if he made one point, (laughs) it's that some players fold under pressure a lot there are very few players that really thrive under the pressure, especially in the big moments. I think Morikawa, certainly yesterday, thrived under it. Why did Morikawa win the British Open? If I had to point to one thing, Corey, it would be that throughout 2021, Colin Morikawa has not been a good putter. He ranks like 124th on the PGA Tour in terms of putting statistics. He was number one over the weekend at Royal St. George in terms of putting. I mean, he drained some big-time putts, and especially on Sunday. And I think it was 15 he went to, which is a par four. He put his second shot off to the left in the rough, There's not a lot of green between him and the cup. Hmm. So he's got to hit a very delicate chip out of that rough, put it just on the edge of the green, let it roll a little bit, but not too much, obviously, because you want a makeable putt coming back. He hit that chip exactly right. Putt rolls about 15 feet from the hole. Now he's got to hit a 15-footer back to save par. He did, and that kept his two-stroke lead over Spieth. Jordan Spieth played well, but Morikawa just played better. And I just wonder if he is the face of golf in the future. 
we'll you know, see. I have close friends that refer to me as a big time putz. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, I was watching uh, baseball last night as our evening winded down. Uh, we were in Fort Wayne having dinner, and I'm watching Anthony Rizzo bat not well. And I'm wondering, is this one of the final times I'm going to see this guy in a Cubs, uh, uh, as well as many others? Well, that's that's the running question around our house and, and a lot of houses. Let's face it. The Cubs, with that 11-game losing streak they had right before the All-Star break, played themselves out of contention in the National League. I don't think anybody looks at them as a playoff team right now. They're a game below 500 as we talk to you on this Monday 46 and 47. They have already dealt Jock Peterson to the Atlanta Braves for a first base prospect. Uh, by the way, a young man that's playing now at South Bend and had a double his first time in his first game for the South Bend Cubs. But the question is, and, and we've bandied this question about all season long here on the Yak. If you've listened, you know that we've said it's very possible that of the three-headed monster of the Cubs, KB, Javi Baez, and Anthony Rizzo, that in my opinion, two of them won't be on the 2022 Cubs. The question is, do any of them get dealt here before the trade deadline? Chris Bryant made the all-star team. Chris Bryant made the all-star team because of how he had played in April and May when he was sizzling. He's been awful since June 1st. He's batting about 180 since the 1st of June and has had about as much pop in his bat as a uh, one of those mini soda cans. Not a whole lot. So, Do you think they got somebody in their inner circle chuck that keeps those type of numbers on their radar hey man you're batting this this is not this you were april and may you were this right now you're this i don't or know does th- he know that well he knows that <clears throat> yeah i mean these guys aren't dumb they're aware that they're struggling the question is what do you do to solve it mm-hmm. because baseball is a game of ebbs and flows it's a game where you know one one little fluke thing can be the spark, and all of a sudden you get hot, and your confidence goes up. And then all of a sudden, when your confidence is up, you see the ball better, you're hitting it better, the whole thing. But the argument on Bryant right now is you can throw the fastball by him. You can, you can beat him up and in with the fastball. With Javi... Why you'd ever throw him a fastball is beyond me because he's he's Pedro Serrano from Major League. You know, the, the breaking ball or the changeup does Javi in time and time again. And then Rizzo, he, he's a 250 hitter. He, he, he is what he is. But it's the locker room intangibles that make Rizzo so valuable to the Cubs. Rizzo's 32. He's got a bad back. He's a very good defensive first baseman. He made some nice plays over the weekend in Arizona. Hit a home run off Madison Bumgarner over the weekend in Arizona. He has flashes of the old Anthony Rizzo. But from a trade perspective, 
Right now, one wonders why somebody would trade for Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, or Anthony Rizzo. Doesn't mean they won't go. At some point, somebody might say, we think Bryant and the versatility that he brings in the field, as well as maybe getting a change of scenery, would be good for our ball club, and he'll help out. Maybe even on the south side of town, which is a nightmare for Cub fans. But you can you can visualize where he would help the Chicago White Sox. Baez, as flashy as he is in the field, man, at the plate right now, he is a train wreck. And he's, he's tough to watch hit. And then Rizzo, I just don't see the Cubs moving him. I, I think... And I've said this before, if there's one guy out of the three they keep, it's him. But they're they're not good right now. Yeah, they beat Arizona two out of three. Arizona's the worst team in baseball. I was thinking about this. Do you think you gotta be talked into to play there in the desert? Man, can you imagine that game in July on an afternoon? Hey, here's the well, first of all, they closed the roof. So you're playing in you're playing indoors in air conditioning. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. When yeah. I went they didn't have a roof, I don't think. That was years ago. Yeah. Okay. So they closed the roof, oh, okay. and you play indoors in air conditioning. Uh, Madison Bumgarner just signed there in the offseason for, for really good money. And the Diamondbacks started out 14-12. and 12. And then I don't know what happened to Tory Lavallo's team, but they haven't won a whole lot since then. They beat the Cubs yesterday. Uh, their bullpen is really bad. That's one thing that's holding them down. But... You just wonder if the Cubs will be holding a garage sale here between now and the end of the month. The White Sox, let's talk about them for a little bit, Corey. I saw Carlos Radon pitch at North Carolina State. He was their Friday night ace, and I remember him pitching against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame scored a couple of runs off of him, but you saw this slider with this just dynamic movement to it that was just, you sat there and you thought, why why would you throw any other pitch other than the fact that the slider is one of those pitches where if you don't put it where you want to, um, you can really get burned on it. And I think that's how Notre Dame scored their runs in the game, come to think of it. But this is a guy that came out of college, was supposed to be terrific. Came to the White Sox, would show some flashes of brilliance, but really struggled and almost looked like he was going to go out of baseball with arm trouble. He comes back this year. Not only has he thrown a no-hitter this year, he's also an all-star. And yesterday, he and Michael Kopech and Liam Hendricks combined on a one-hitter of Houston in a 4 nothing shutout. The Houston Astros are the highest-scoring team in baseball, and he made them look silly. Do you know the last time a pitcher in Chicago threw a one-hitter against the Houston Astros? <laughs> I don't know. That was the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game. That's that's how rarely that is done to the Astros. So Rodon was just magnificent yesterday. Seven innings pitched, ten strikeouts, no walks, a one-hitter. The White Sox made some decent defensive plays behind him, showed just enough offense, and they took two out of three from the Astros playing at home over the weekend. The White Sox should run away and hide with the AL Central. They have an eight-game lead despite all the injuries they've had. 
the question will be when the White Sox get into the American League playoffs, do they have a strong enough team to get past teams like the Rays, the Red Sox, the Astros? Uh, because they haven't played well on the road against those kind of teams. However, the White Sox, I, I don't think there's any question. They are the creme de la creme in Chicago right now, as many people thought they would be at the beginning of the year. Remember, at the start of the year, most people thought, okay, the White Sox are definitely a division contender. The Cubs could make the playoffs, but they'll probably finish around 500. They've both, they've both played to expectations so far. The problem for the Cubs was they were surpassing expectations so much prior to late June that when they went into that tailspin, it really kind of threw things asunder. What's going on in Detroit? Well, the Tigers, and we seem to say this on the show more and more often, they're improving. Willie Peralta, seven innings of shutout baseball yesterday. Jonathan Scope, homer and three RBI. Here's a... A.J. Hinch has done a nice job with this Detroit team. Yeah, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're 8 below 500. they They're 14 games out of first place in the American League Central. But you see these glimmers of hope in Detroit that make you think, um, 2023, maybe the Tigers can be something. By the way, speaking of the Tigers, while we were on our little vacation, they drafted Tanner Colehep, the pitcher out of Notre Dame in the fifth round. So maybe he's going to be part of that rebuild in Detroit. But you start to see signs from this Detroit team that eh, maybe in a couple of years they could be something to watch in the American League Central. And they beat Minnesota yesterday by a count of 7 to nothing. Uh Baseball real quick, uh, Nico. Think he'll stay in South Bend? No. I think he will sign with the Red Sox, even though he only went in the 11th round. I think the question would be with Nico, if you take a look at um, his agent in the past has been difficult for some teams to work with, and I think a lot of people looked at him and said, okay, yeah, we see the terrific power and everything like that. He's 23 years old which for somebody entering minor league baseball is on the older side. Uh, There are holes in the swing. He strikes out quite a bit. And so I'm not trying to take anything away from him because I think he's a terrific kid and a wonderful player. But the more I thought about it, even though I touted him on this show as a third or a fourth round draft pick, and when he was sailing along pretty well in – April and early May, I really felt that was the case. I think some things got exposed a little bit late in the season and even by the Mississippi State pitchers in that NCAA regional, super regional. And I think that's maybe what soured the scouts on Nico a little bit. And even though, yes, he could have come back for another season at Notre Dame, what's he going to get out of that? Mm Mm-hmm. What What is he going to prove at this level that is going to make his draft stock rise even more as now a 24-year-old? I mean, let's face it, 25 is about the oldest you see down here at the corner of South and Taylor for the South Bend Cubs, and usually that's a veteran guy. So I think Nico has to take what he gets right now 
from the Red Sox and go and see if he can make a quick rise up the ranks and maybe prove some people wrong who drafted him in the 11th round. Also, congratulations to Riley Tirada, a former Marion baseball player who played his college baseball at the University of Dayton. He goes in the 12th round to the Toronto Blue Jays. High school football, 32 days away. Can you, know you what believe I, that? I would love when that number gets much lower. Give me your Chuck Freebie opinion of, like, here's who we're going to watch closely this fall. Well, we'll start. I'll start making the circuit here. In fact, I might even go to there's, uh, there's some summer scrimmages still going on this week, and I might go to a couple of those. Just to get my eyes on some teams, but we'll really start making the circuit hard in August. I'll spend a, a lot of my afternoons going to practices, getting interviews that we'll put out on social media and things like that, and that'll give me a better idea of who to watch in the area. Yeah. Right now, um, if I were to pick the top teams in our area going into this year, I would say, I mean, you always have to look at Marion in terms of how they line up for the tournament. They might take some lumps during the regular season. Like our first game, I'll I'll probably release this on Wednesday, but I'm pretty sure our first game is going to be Marion and Mishawaka. Uh, Two traditional power teams. Mishawaka's got a great returning quarterback in Justin Fisher. But Marion is a team that's been to, what, three straight semi-states, I think, or, or or two out of three at least. But I think it's three straight semi-states. They're just set up really well for their tournament. They're the smallest, one of the smallest teams in the NIC in terms of enrollment. And they play in the big boy division, which means they have to line up against the Pens, the Elkarts, the New Prairies, and teams like that. So they might take their lumps a little bit during the regular season, but I think come tournament time, Michael Davidson will have a terrific squad to work with. Okay. Um, but we'll look around at some other teams. Uh, I think the jury is out on the Northern Lakes Conference this year because there's been some changeover. Tom Wogeman has left at Northridge. They've got a new coach in at Chad Epley. Uh, Warsaw lost a ton of talent from last year's team, but they have a ton back. And Bart Curtis has that reputation of being able to, you know, kind of get kids into his system and they figure it out and they they know how to work. Concord's got a ton of talent coming back. Uh, The question for the Minutemen is can they stop anybody? You know, defensively last year there were times where they weren't very good and they were a 500 team. Uh, but Craig Kaler, boy, his story is something else too, Corey. Here's a guy wound up getting COVID last year. During the exam for COVID, they said, oh, my gosh, we got to get you on the table. You've got major heart problems. And he went through heart bypass surgery, hmm. and he's lost a ton of weight. And looking forward to sitting down with Craig and and getting his story out there of of how all that developed and how if and how it changes him as a coach. So th- there's always a lot to talk about and that's that's the exciting part for me as I come back from vacation and I'm sitting here about a month away from the season 
is I can it it's like walking through the 4-H fair in the morning you can smell all those restaurants <laughs> I I can I can smell high school football coming right now if you smell one hit wonder update we took a week off we are back this morning Wow, already with 54 votes as we record this. Come on, Eileen. Just a slight hair above Play That Funky Music. Don't you forget about me. Removing Afternoon Delight. Were you surprised at that? Well, you were high on Afternoon Delight, but Simple Minds. Simple Minds. You know what? I think our listening audience probably leans more towards knowing the Simple Minds song more than Afternoon Delight. I mean, that... that I mean, if you're our age, you right. might remember that on the radio, but only because of one little scene in a movie. Mm-hmm. But then again, so was uh, Breakfast Club. Breakfast that's, Club did a lot for Don't that's a That's a staple for like an 80s weekend on uh, oh, you know, yeah. down the street. You, mm-hmm. know, you have to have that in your, your playlist. But so, so this week we're in quarterfinals. We'll start the semifinals on Thursday. And then I believe next Monday will probably be our championship of the one-hit wonder. Okay. Awesome. Overrated and underrated. I threw a couple kind of oddball things at you here on the list today. Love it. Uh, <laughs> Love this, it. This, doesn't necess- this was uh, uh, quite the discussion that we had uh, in the van, on the phone, uh, with certain family <laughs> members. Over the weekend, and I just want to get your take on it. Overrated, underrated, garlic parmesan seasoning. Are we talking about uh, what comes in the green canister that I'll put on pizza? Whether or it's the it- green canister or just like it's a seasoning at wings, etc., comes as part of a sauce. Is this the cheese they go, hey, would you like some cheese on your yes. at Olive Garden? Yeah. yeah. I enjoy it. I'd say uh, underrated if you're not using it. I would say underrated as well because it's not only, okay, you get Parmesan cheese with the spaghetti and you figure the sauce probably has some garlic in it. I've had it on fries. I think it's terrific on fries. Have you ever had it on popcorn? I have not. Uh, it's, It's worth a try. Okay. Garlic Parmesan on popcorn. Maybe not my favorite, but one of my daughters swears by it. And... If I want a sauce other than barbecue, when I go to a wings place, mm-hmm. this is kind of a a safe, mild, it's a mild choice, but for me, it's a delight for the taste buds. Uh, so I'm going to try that on my wings next time. Usually I go with medium because that's all about I can handle. Right. Garlic, Parmesan, uh, okay. Both of us are saying underrated, though. Yes. Okay. Yes. So... And maybe we'll bring some other seasonings to the table as well for overrated. <laughs> Our underrated. seasonings season. But uh, I also, as I told you in the other studio this morning, listened to a ton of podcasts while we were driving to and from Colorado. And the podcast that I leaned to the most was probably the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast. And I was delighted by the skills of Mr. Dana Carvey. Mm -hmm. But I come to you and I say, Dana Carvey, overrated or underrated? I I thought about this as soon as I saw the name on our sheet. Uh, 
A little Dana Carvey goes a long way. That's true. And I think in my history with him, he wears on me a little bit. When he's on, he's on. But then I think he is a classic comedian where I'm getting some laughs. Let me pour on the gasoline a little bit more. And it's like, ah. Yeah. If you get a chance, there's a documentary called Too Funny to Fail. Okay. It's on Hulu. Too Funny to Fail. Dana Carvey had a sitcom on, I believe it was ABC, and if you go back and watch this sitcom, who he had on that show for this new variety show should have been the next SNL. Should have been. It did not become that. Yeah. You should watch that. It's really good. I think one of the things he pointed out, he talked about this, I think, in the episode with Conan, is that he his vision... For that show mm-hmm. was more subversive and dark than perhaps where ABC wanted it to go. And so he found that there were a lot of clashes with the people at ABC. And he said, and maybe they were right. You know, when I think of Dana Carvey, I don't think of dark humor, I think of silliness. Yeah. And so for him to try to do something dark, that probably threw the audience off a little bit. Let me let me just run you down who's helping behind the scenes on that show. Yeah. Dana Carvey show, eight episodes only. That's all they did. Yeah. Uh on ABC, created by Dana and one Robert Schmeagol, mm-hmm. who uh one of the head writers of Saturday Night Live Forever, insult. The uh, Triumph, Triumph, the, the comic insult, insult, dog. insult dog. Dana Carvey's on the show. Steve Carell's on the show. Mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert is on the show. Bob Odenkirk is on the show. Yeah. And then a handful of others that have gone on to do do different things. But watch the documentary, and uh, it's a fascinating watch. For somebody you think, oh, this is going to work. Dana Carvey's going to run off to the races. Wayne, I would say though Wayne's World, Master of Disguise. Yeah. Um I don't know that you can go obviously his SNL years. Yeah, eighty six to ninety three is a long run. Yeah. Long run. Yeah. Um in his <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. overrated. Overrated. In the kindest sense. Yeah. I I think prior to listening to this podcast, I would say overrated. I will say down the middle, only from the standpoint of I think he's he's very self aware. I think he he's very technically sound mm-hmm. in his comedy. In other words, he knows how to make tweaks. And kind of um, adjust things a little bit. He talked about his imitations. He's not Rich Little. And he doesn't try to be Rich Little. If anything, he tries to over-exaggerate. Yes. Almost cartoonish. Yes. I would agree with that. So he, he takes that route of it. And when he gets going, like you said, when he's on... He's on. Yeah. When he's on, I think he can be as funny as anybody out there. Yeah. But when he's not, 
Ugh. Yeah. I think a great example of what you were just talking about, there's impressionists that you hear, and then when you hear it, you go, he sounds just like him. Mm-hmm. But what Dana Carvey does is takes a Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. and amps it up to the, yeah, and it's funny, super yeah. funny, uh, some of the stuff and situations he puts that character in. But I'm going to go overrated. And that's the other thing. He's not afraid to go put a character in an absurd situation that doesn't make sense for that character to be in mm-hmm. but then plays it off that way so yeah I'll, I'll go down the middle let me sneak this in since uh, somebody may have heard about the conan o'brien needs a friend on this podcast yes um it started a couple of years ago i think this little trend of you take the two gals from the office right. put them on a podcast mm-hmm. super successful then you take like a smartless podcast, the three actors who are kind of twiddling their thumbs during the pandemic. Right. That's turned into a juggernaut. Uh, there's two guys from The Sopranos doing a, a deal now that's gaining some momentum. If you are a Lord of the Rings fan, the Friendship Onion is really good. Oh. It's uh, two of the hobbits who, <laughs> who have... <laughs> two of the hobbits. Yes. Let's take two hobbits... <laughs> And make a podcast. Yes. Billy Boyd, uh, Dominic uh, Monaghan, and it's actually really good. If you're into that, plus Dominic was on Lost, uh, Billy Boyd's got some movies under his belt. He's got a Russell Crowe movie. Why didn't they just talk, why didn't they just call it Hobbit Talk? Uh, that might have been copywritten, trademarked, I don't know, but they do talk Lord of the Rings stuff, but that's a delightful podcast. The Friendship Onion. And then... If you want two other hobbits, quite frankly, that's what Sports Yak is. <laughs> You're on Twitter still, huh? Yeah, at 46 Sports. Just, you know, is there a blue check mark? I don't know. I've seen some other people far bigger than me griping about the check mark, so who knows? Have you hit the gas pedal on your tweets since you've been back today? Uh, no, nah, not really. N- not yet. Well, something's got to happen. Something does got to happen, doesn't it? So maybe we'll see. Sport- You're on Twitter as well, aren't you? At my name is Corey, Sports Yak with two Ks. Until next time, Yak fans. Ooga Luga Jim Valvano. Running around looking for somebody to hug. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. Sports Yak is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.